we come as we are, oh God, we are here ready. Be with us now. of the unison prayer reads into glimpses of new possibilities, I believe. This is a short poem, and I'd like you as much as possible to try to feel it as well as hear it, uh, because I'm going to take you out of a, the literal mundane nine-to-five world where we spend so much of our time and try to just take you into a world of pure feeling fantasy, metaphor, and imagery. The impossibility of death. Take my hand, friend. I've got my visa stamp for the undiscovered country, and so do you. Let's go down the rabbit hole, and we'll close our eyes along the way. It's beautiful, isn't it? The sheer speed of this ride, the tsunami wash of space, the thrill of unimaginable freedom, the shackles of the body peeling off like rust, slipping away like quicksilver, while asteroids and comets cascade past us as fast as we cascade forward into the vastness, into beautiful blackness at last, at long last, pure spirit, the feeling of being not in the universe, but around it, being all of the universe, everything open and revealed, no compass and no direction, more colors and energies in the blackness than can be named or conjured, the five senses becoming ten, and then a billion, and then sextillion, and the endless beaming of welcome home from the teeming stars. Congratulations. You've done it. You're free. Your loved ones are up ahead, and yet they are here, every one of them. All your dogs, cats, your horse, your totems, all of your imagination is here. Can you feel it? Out of the shadows of the tomb, the light of Christ shines forth in glory. Overcoming the darkness of sin and death, in the depths of our soul, the light of Christ brings us back to the land of the living. Shouted from the mountaintop, Christ is risen, alleluia. Christ is risen indeed. Please rise for our gathering song, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. Thank you. 
Please be seated. And could we have all the kids who are here today, could we have them come on down? Young and young at heart. So who got an Easter basket this morning? Did you get one this morning? You had eggs. You had eggs in your Easter basket. No, I got them. Well, you got jelly beans. Oh. Oh. Well, I have 
real Easter eggs here. Real Easter eggs. And they tell the story of Easter in these eggs. So let's see, I'm gonna give you this one. And you can have that one. And let's see, would you like this one? And you want a blue one? And you can have this one. Would you take a, oh, you want a blue one? Well, would you take this one? Okay, you got, we're gonna keep the, not gonna open the eggs yet. Don't open it yet. All right. Emily, will you take this one? And let's see, who's gonna do this one? Emily, I'm gonna, I need a big kid for this one, okay? All right, uh, let's see. Um, and we've got, who else needs one? Who, Olive, Olive can have that one, and, um, ooh, is that good? All right, and BJ, would you take that one? All right, and this one, I'll let you take this one too. Don't open it yet, don't open it yet. You may have another one. You're going to do two. All right, so now we're going to tell the story of Easter, and we're going to start with that blue egg right there. So open that blue egg. And what's inside the blue? A donkey is inside the blue egg. The donkey is from last week, Palm Sunday, and Jesus rode into Bethlehem on a donkey, huh? So let's see, our next egg is the light pink one. The light pink one. What's inside the light pink egg? Money, Money inside the light pink <laughs> egg. That represents the coins that Judas was paid to hand over his friend to the police. Yeah. Let's see, the light purple one. It's the cup, that's the chalice, that Jesus shared with his friends on that last supper, that Seder dinner, when he promised his friends that there was going to be a new promise for them, a new promise for them. Let's see, the orange one comes next. Hands, hands in prayer. After Jesus had dinner with his friends, he went into the garden and he prayed and prayed and prayed. Let's see the green one that Olive's got there. Oh, oh, can she open it? Can we open it? Can you open it, Olive? Can you open it? <gasps> can we share one? Who's got two? You've got two? You've got two. Okay, you can hold that. Oh, the <laughs> all right. Has Olive got it open? Olive's got a leather strip, a leather strip that represents the whip that they used. They whipped Jesus after they arrested him. It looks like a pretty simple little thing, but you wouldn't want to get hit with a whip like that, would you? No, no. All right, Emily's got the light yellow one. 
What's on that? There's thorns on that. Thorns on that. But be careful, be careful. I took that off a bougainvillea bush. Everybody ever get stuck by a bougainvillea bush? Can you imagine having that woven into a crown and they put it on Jesus' head? Those thorns. Yep, they did. And let's see the yellow one right there. Oh, what's in there? No, it's a nail. It's a nail. A nail. That represents the nail that they used when they put Jesus on the cross. You know, you ever, you ever pick, prick yourself with, a, with maybe a needle? It hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, that's a nail that got put into Jesus' hands and feet. Pretty sad. Yeah. All right. Now, let's see. We got, you got the light green one? Let's open that one up. A dice. That's a die. Scripture tells us that they took Jesus' clothes and the soldiers threw dice to see who was going to win his coat. Yeah, yeah. All right, now we got the purple. This one, the purple one right here? Oh, that was it. This has got the dark purple. You've got the dark purple. Be careful. Be careful. This is... It's a spear. It's a spear. This is the... the just to prove that Jesus was dead, they put a spear into his side and made sure that all his blood was gone. A spear into his side. Yeah. There we go. All right. BJ, you got the cream one. Okay. Or, oh, here we go. Somebody else can open this one up. Open that one. What's that? It's a piece of fabric. It's a piece of linen. Scripture says they wrapped Jesus' body in linen and put him in the grave. Yeah. And let's see. Zoe's got the pink one? The pink one. What's inside there, Zoe? A rock is inside of that one. They put a rock across the tomb to make sure that no one could get in or out. So what's left of the Easter story? What happens after Jesus is in the tomb? What happens on Easter morning? He comes alive. And he's not in the tomb. So who's got the light blue egg? You've got the light blue egg. And what's in the light blue egg? It's empty. The light blue egg is empty. It's empty. Jesus isn't in the tomb. Jesus is alive, Jesus is risen, Jesus is with us now and forever. Thank you so much for helping us tell the story. We're going to stay in church today, but when we're done, when we're done, what are we going to do? Easter egg hunt. When we're done, we're having Easter egg hunt. So you're going to see me. Now, can I, can I have all these eggs? Because I, I bet we could use these again and tell the story another time, don't you think? Yeah. All right. Let's have a blessing. And, and um, if you didn't get 
a bulletin, a workbook. You can raise your hands and the, and the ushers will bring you one, something, some stickers and things. Let's have our blessing. We bless you and thank you for your spirit. God loves you just the way you are, and so do we. All right. Have a seat.
Oh God, we come to you this morning ready for a happy day. For we have lived through too many Good Fridays. We have lived through the death and illness of friends. We have seen the strong wither. And we wonder if that is the end. You come to us in that moment of weakness when we fail to recognize you. And you say, oh, happy day. It is a truly happy day. Open our eyes to see your glory. We pray this in the name of your son who taught us to pray, although this comes from the New England Book of Common Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name echoes through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and testing, strengthen us. From tiles too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. You have to remember one life, one death, this one. To enter fully the day, the hour, the moment, whether it appears as life or death, whether we catch it on the in-breath or out-breath, requires only a moment, this moment. And along with all of, all of it, the mindfulness we can muster, and each stage of our ongoing birth, and the confident joy of our inherent luminosity. The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Listen for the word of God. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, 
and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered Jesus' words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to the disciples an idle tale, and they did not believe the women. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. All right, before I start this, um, I'm going to tell a little story on my family, so um, I'm asking you to put me on the prayer chain now. <laughs> um, maybe the last time you see me, so get a good look. I grew up in a dog family. We had dogs, no cats. Matter of fact, our family took great pleasure in talking about how cat owners were a different type of person. And then I met my wife, Mary. Well, actually, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my wife-to-be. And we fell in love, and she pretty much let it be known that it was a package deal. <laughs> love me, love my cats. <laughs> so we got married and moved down to this lovely little place that was a block and a half from a major thoroughfare in Dearborn, Michigan. And Mary went to visit her family in Florida. And she said, Wolfie is my familiar. Wolfie and then you. Okay, this is the way the pecking order ran. Make sure Wolfie doesn't get out. Now, we had another cat, Gossip, but Gossip was 22 pounds, and Gossip never got out anywhere. She never got that far from the food bowl. And one day, when I was getting the paper and the door didn't quite close, Wolfie got out. And I called, and I called, and I called, and I called, and Wolfie didn't come back. And I got worried. Then the next day, nothing. And I went down, and I had this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I went down to the thoroughfare, and there is a tail in the basically body of Wolfie. I was like, Oh, wow. And so I lovingly got the remains, and I buried it in the backyard, and I did a blessing over it and had a whole service with myself. And gossip went, and she would just sit over Wolfie's grave. Mary came home and was obviously devastated, and about two days later, I'm at work at the hospital as a chaplain, and I get this frantic phone call. He's alive! He's alive! Wolfie's alive! And I said, no. <laughs> Wolfie is in the backyard under about three feet of dirt, and gossip is probably still sitting over the top of this cat. And she said, no, no, he's back! He's alive! He's here! He just meowed! Did you hear him? No. 
I didn't hear that. He meowed again. Did you hear that? No. I went to my boss. My wife has snapped her cap. I need to go home. I need to go now. So I go home, and there's this, and Wolfie was this tiny little cat. He was a long-haired cat, but he was this tiny little thing. And on the living room floor was this mudded up whatever, and it was just this poor desperate thing that Mary had caught. He says, it's Wolfie. I said, it's not Wolfie. Anyway, washed the cat, dried the cat. It was Wolfie. I have no idea what cat I buried in the backyard. <laughs> But if you lost a cat in Dearborn, Michigan that looked like a tiger, long hair, small body, it got a really good burial. It got a lovely service. Mary said, he's alive, he's alive. And it's like, woman, you're crazy. The women go to the tomb on Easter Sunday. And they carry the spices because Jesus died on Good Friday. Friday night is the beginning of Shabbat. It's the beginning of the Sabbath. You do not touch a dead body on the Sabbath. You don't do it. So when the women showed up, you can just think, oh, you know, three days in the tomb is not for a good situation. All they wanted to do was see Jesus one more time, and yet they probably didn't. He was going to start to smell. And they're worried about how are they going to get the, the stone rolled away. And the stone is rolled away. And now they walk in and there's nothing but the grave clothes. And now they've got no place to go. At least with Wolfie, we had a body in the backyard. How many of you have lost an animal and never found it again? That's horrible. That's the worst. If you lose it. In the military, if we lose a member, one member dies in the military, they will risk the lives of several to get the body back. It's important to have a remembrance, to have a place to go. Jesus is gone. The women are beside themselves, and then they hear, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you here? And they go and they tell the men, and they said, he's alive. Did you see him? Well, no. But we saw two guys that were dressed all in white, and they were bright, brighter than, than, than even John, our Laguna poet. And what do the men say? Yeah. You know, can we get a little lithium going on? They're calling the doctor to see if they can get a sedative. It seemed to them like an idle tale. Peter goes to the tomb. Of all the men in, in the Gospel of Luke, Peter goes and he looks in and he's amazed and he goes home. This is the people we look to for inspiration. These are the ones we say, yeah, they live with him. I mean, Jesus has just rose Lazarus from the dead about a week and a half earlier. So it's not like this is completely out of the realm of possibility. And they all think, 
No. 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 It's an idle tale. Today in this world, the question isn't whether or not it was an idle tale for the disciples. The question is whether it's an idle tale for us. And there are many people who believe that Jesus rose bodily from the grave, and it is still an idle tale for them. Why? Because it doesn't make a darn bit of difference. And there are other people who say, dead bodies don't rise ever. But they're going to live their lives completely differently. Who is it an idle tale for? Thomas Jefferson, I love the story we, we got going on in society that that our founding fathers were these devoutly Christian men. They weren't their deists. Deists believed that God set the world in motion and that it was like a big clockmaker and the clockmaker gives the world its natural laws and, and you don't tinker with it. Jesus was an absolutely great prophet. He was a very moral man. He was probably the most ethical man to walk the face of the earth, but that's it. If you've seen the Tom Jefferson Bible, the Jefferson Bible... Jefferson cut out all the miracles. Jefferson cut out the resurrection accounts. That was Jefferson's Bible. You don't need that stuff for Jefferson. He said you need the morals. So for Jefferson, was the resurrection an idle tale? How do he live his life? I see people today who I go up to them and say, you can, you, you can give up your alcohol. You don't have to be an alcoholic. And to them, it's an idle tale. You go to other people and say, you can get some mental health, you get some counseling, and you can get over the grief that you're in. And for them, it's an idle tale. I had a man who was 75 years old in my last congregation, would not take medication until finally he was 75, went because strong men don't need help. You know, women have doctors, men have hardware stores, right? <laughs> women feel bad, they go to the doctor. Men feel bad, they go to Lowe's or Home Depot. You buy a new tool, you feel better, you go home, you work on your house. He was 75 years old, and finally, the, the, the idea that there was mental health help, he went and he thought, for 75 years I've been feeling like that when I could have felt like this. Peter doesn't go back to the disciples after he goes to the tomb, and I think this is why. Because for those, and now ten, because Judas is already gone, for those ten, it was still an idle tale. And Peter wanted to believe. I'm not sure he did, it doesn't say he did, at least in Luke, but he wants to believe. So he doesn't go back to the ones who are doubting, he goes home to be by himself so he can mull it over. He can think about it. The worst thing in the world you can do when you're feeling pessimistic is just be around people who are pessimistic. You know what? It's like that line in Steel Magnolias, if you got nothing to say, good to say about anybody, come sit by me. And we'll have a rip-roaring good time talking down everybody. We love it. And what you end up doing is you end up laughing, and, and when you're finally done, you end up feeling yucky. After all, the laughter goes away. It's like, with me, people, uh, God bless you, people can eat one Oreo. How many of you can eat one Oreo? 
See? One hand. 200 years ago, she'd have been stoned as a witch <laughs> for being able to eat one Oreo. Because it's not something that's humanly possible. You don't eat one Oreo, okay? So you eat, and you start eating, and the first Oreo tastes good, the second Oreo tastes better. And by about the 10th Oreo, you start feeling, ugh. But then the sugar's kicking in, it's like, I want, I need, I need more Oreos. And then I go through the whole package. This is why Oreos are not in my house. And I get through the whole thing, and it's just like, and Mary comes home, like, you know, are we going to have dinner? It's like, oh, mm. Well, I don't feel very well, so maybe mm, we'll have leftovers. You know? We know we do things that make us feel yucky. We know this. The second Oreo, I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to feel lousy if I keep eating, and I just do. Peter doesn't go back to the disciples because he doesn't want to be around people who are going to bring him back down into that sense of doubt and despair. So whether you believe Jesus physically rose from the grave, whether you believe it was spiritual, whatever you believe, is it an idle tale for you? Is it an idle tale? And will you be with people in your life for whom it is not? If you want to learn a musical instrument, you do not want to surround your yourself with people who say, you have no talent. You want to surround your people who will lie to you at the beginning. <laughs> you sound great. You should keep playing, especially the bagpipes. How on earth do people learn the bagpipes in Scotland? I've lived there. I've heard a lot of bagpipes, you know? You've got to have people that say, wow, you've got a real gift there. It's really latent. <laughs> and there's a beautiful empty moor. Go and practice. Do we surround ourselves with people who believe in the promise of the resurrection, in the promise that it is not an idle tale, a bit of silly nonsense? My wife called. I thought she had snapped her cap. Wolfie was dead in the backyard and buried. I did it. And I was wrong. And let me tell you, I am wrong a lot. So if you disagree with anything in the sermon, you are in such good company. <laughs> you are in such good company. But there are things that you will find in your life that will resonate with you and suddenly it's like I see a glimmer of truth in the midst of that what seems to be crazy. And I'm going to follow it and I'm going to surround myself with people who believe it, not necessarily in their heads, but in every pore of their body, every ounce of their spirit, in their glands. They get it. And that's what the resurrection is. People that say, I believe in the resurrection, and I'm still going to stick it to the poor, and I'm still going to stick it to Uncle Sam, and I'm still going to stick it to anybody I can, they don't understand the story. It is still an idle tale, even though intellectually they believe it. Don't let it be an idle tale and the world will be a different place. And that's good news. Amen.
bless you. In the last line of this poem, I mention heaven all around us disappearing as we pass. It's also a metaphor in the sense that if something disappears, it's implied that it had to have appeared in the first place and very well might reappear if it's ever disappeared at all. So perhaps things that disappear are no different than having a thumbprint on the lens of our glasses and temporarily blinding us to what's really there. Heaven all around us. As the moon moves closer and waxes on my shoulders like a second face, as if I were another sphere among a thousand other moons, I try to take stock. I believe this electric brain is nothing more than a rhythmic pulse which beams ahead or lags behind and might be traced if we had the knack. I believe we are the sum parts of brilliant energy lodged in bone marrow and blood, leaking like sap from branches on the tree of life with generations of salves to stanch the past. And yet, we are a muddled botch of clay, blind as drunks at closing time, timid as a passing glance, we creatures of weak skin and eye teeth, no different than our genes or capillaries. And on a floating orb, we sail through expanding space like hybrid seeds rejected from their soil casting for anchors to slow the mortal fall, as if we didn't know a billion years of darkness will never yield the light we seek, which doesn't mean it isn't there. Moving, always moving, even in death, we move along the shores of space and draw defining lines that separate the distance from all the rest of us. And it occurs to me, like arrows with faulty shafts doomed to miss their mark. We're moving through these waves of space with heaven all around us disappearing as we pass. Heaven is all around us and we live in a world filled with need. May we who have received much from God's bounty be generous as we collect this morning's offering.
Bless, O God, the giving of our gifts, that they may be reflections of your great gift to us. For light that shines in the darkness, for life that emerges from the dead parts of our lives. May these offerings go into your world and be an inspiration and hope on this day of days. During this anthem, which is taking the place of a closing song, you will be singing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, to the screaming, crying children <laughs> who are filled with joy in anticipation of the Easter egg hunt. You will be led in at the proper time.
right, following the benediction, we're going to give the, uh, the old opening video one more try, see if the evil archons will give us a break. But go on this Easter day. Go and be with those you love. Go and embrace the life that comes from being part of something bigger than yourselves. Go with love. Go with laughter. Go with life. Go with God. Amen. Choose to win.